of Ephesians chapter 3. We're moving into a new section. 14 through 21. 14 to 21. The end of chapter 3. As I moved into this text, it dawned on me. I asked a few of you who have been here with me for the, the 24 years that I've been here. Had I ever taught this text in this church? And, and everybody said no. No. But I have taught it in Dover, England. I've taught it in Moscow, Russia. I've taught it in Oriel, Russia. I've taught it in Baku, Azerbaijan. Tbilisi, Georgia. And Kalvavari, Georgia. And my favorite was on the south steps of the Temple Mound in Jerusalem. First time I heard this text taught was at my mom's church in uh, Springboro, Ohio, and a guy named Wayne Barber I was there to meet, and he taught this text. So if you haven't figured it out yet, the text means a lot to me. I have to be honest with you, when I started the book of Ephesians, my goal was this text. I've got to go through this to get here. Okay, guess what? I'm here! <laughs> so, hang on tight. You are in for a shock. Everybody I know, I just, all these places that I've taught this text, you need to say, understand that it was about 50 minute message. This is going to be about a three month message. Okay, you guys are slower listeners. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, what? Normally what I do is read the text and pray, right? I'm going to do something different today. Okay? I want you to all bow your heads. Okay? And hear what I have to say. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, in order that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, in order that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, in order that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church. In Christ Jesus is all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Wow. As I shared, this text has a special meaning to myself. Uh, Its riches are inexhaustible. The reason is, I think that this is a basic truth to implementing all spiritual truth into the life of every believer. Okay? Okay? It's an awesome joy for me to even move into this text. 
you look at your outlines, uh, my secretary was putting that together. And she says, well, what is the statement at the beginning here? And, she, and I said, what, which one is that? She says, start your engines. And I said, well, I grew up in southern Ohio. And it was almost a rite of passage. Uh, it was main, you know, it was mandated that if you grew up in that area, every year you had to go to the Indianapolis 500 and every year you had to go to the Kentucky Derby. It was, I, I think they would have kicked you out of the state if you didn't do that. And so I have seen many, many, many Indianapolis 500s. And you always get a thrill when the announcer would start, gentlemen, start your engines. And you knew it was getting ready to take off. And you know what? If someone didn't, everybody knew it. You got 500 miles to go, you're going to push that thing? But when I think about the fullness of God, the next thing I have to think about is have we started our engines? I've been looking forward to this text. We are coming to the end of the theology. We are coming to the end of our position in Christ. We are coming to the end of our possessions that every child of God has. Period. They're non-negotiable. Now, we need of God to help us to understand it and to act on it. Okay? It's abundant in its truth. And if you are reading along or listening to what I said, you will see that I added something that is not in your Bibles. Three times I added it. Okay? I used the phrase, in order that. Okay? It's not in there. The implication is that in the syntax of the original Greek text. Okay? Because the prayer is written as a progression. And you have one, you, you, what, it's, it's one built on the other. Alright? Did you hear what I, how I said that? You've got to have the one before you build on the next. And on the next. Because if something happens, which causes something else to happen, which leads to something else to happen. Which leads to something else to happen. And you put all of these together in this progression, and the ultimate of it, is verse 21. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. But you build to that position. Remember I shared with you last week the purposes of this mystery? One of the purposes is the angelic host. The angels look upon the body of Christ to see the redemption being played out so that they can do what? Glorify God. They glorify God. Why? Because they see what God's power is doing in fallen man. God's glory is why you and I are here. The ultimate end of Paul's prayer as the purpose of the mystery that he preached. Jew and Gentile, oneness in Christ, male and female, bond and slave, didn't matter. All one in Christ. God's glory is the ultimate end of all things. 
and God is glorified. Right now, as the angels look upon the body of Christ in different parts of this globe, they are glorifying God of what the amazing thing God has done through these people. Paul is asking simply for God to glorify himself. It's outstanding. And he does it through what he does in the believers. The crescendo for you and me, or the climax, whatever you want to call it, to him, verse 20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. You ever read that? You ever think about what that says? It's going to take me forever just to get through that sentence. When we begin to see exceedingly abundantly all we can ask or think actually happening in our lives. Now grab that a second. Have you seen it? Have you seen exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can ask or think happening in your life? That's what glorifies God. See, the Christian experience, if you want to call it that, is a matter of applying God's power to everyday life. Listen, if you just hear it and never apply it, do you realize you've never learned it? If I don't apply it to myself, then what have I learned? See, people, people come and they're not involved. They come to listen. That's great. That guy I was just sharing with you that I baptized. His wife said, do you know, she leaves for work early in the morning. She says, he gets up, gets a cup of coffee, goes out on the back deck and reads his Bible. And he's been doing as long as she can remember. I said, that's cool. And so I asked him about it. He says, yeah, man. He says, I'm, I'm in Jeremiah. He says, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're just really hard to understand. And I said, well, you've got to ask yourself if he's speaking past, present, or future. And once you get that ironed out, it's not so bad. I said, you want to tough and get into Zechariah? That's the one I'm reading right now. And I, that man there, poor, poor guy. I mean, even if I was being shown that, I don't know if I'd have ever wrote it down. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? There are people out there who listen, and it's great. There are people who want to know all there is in the amazement of God. And they say they want to see the power. They say they want to see Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. So many, this is happening 
And do we know it? Great desire that we are all functioning. Let me ask you a question. Follow along with me reading that again. And I want to show you the power that is speaking of here. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. What would happen, as small as we are, if all of us were living examples of that? What would happen? What would happen if we all walked out of here in Ephesians 3.20? Can you imagine? See this happening in our lives? Experiencing it? Being able to look in the mirror going, wow! What would be the impact? First in us. But then, in everybody we bump into. This is what we, this is what I struggle that probably affects me more than anything that agonizes my heart. God's people to be experiencing all that God has that He would be glorified in them. I mean, I tell you guys, and you guys have heard me say this, of the top one million things I wanted to be when I grow up, pastor ain't in it. That was never my desire. I was trying to live life to the fullest. And yet, look what happened. I know everybody's still saying, we're still trying to figure that out. Why? It is beyond anything I could think or... Hmm. And it was abundant. I mean, now he's had me travel around the world doing it. I don't even like driving to the church. And now he's got me going 11, 12 time zones away. That wasn't my plan. It was never a desire. God's people experiencing all that God has. Listen, it doesn't do you any good to know everything if you don't put the key in and start the engine. You can have the fastest Indy car that the world has ever seen. If you don't start it, you ain't got nothing. I've got a 1957 rigid shovel head Harley. I put a stroker kit in it. I got a six-speed transmission on it. Things pushing about a hundred horse. Okay, thing I get it. But you know what I learned? If I don't turn that thing on, it still pushes like any other Harley. It doesn't do anything. Doesn't do a thing.
If we don't start the motor, all you've got is weight. We've already looked at the first three chapters. We see what our resources are. We see in chapter 1, and he had a plan. We see how he activated the plan in chapter 2. He showed us the purpose and the, the roadmap for the plan in chapter 3. What you have heard, who you are in Christ. If you're a true believer, this is what you have. If we have enough power to do the job, if we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, we are in Christ Jesus All three of them are working. They are distinct in absolute unity in each of us. Absolute power of the Godhead, the Trinity, is in every believer. All the things that are true of us in chapters 1 through 3 are the description of the power that you and I have as believers in Jesus Christ. We've seen the plan. We see the resources. We see the energy. The dynamo of it. The horsepower. And this chapter, we've been looking at the roadmap. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to preach to everybody. What? What are we supposed to preach? The riches that we have. The new covenant that we have. The union that we have with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The salvation, the redemption of our soul forever and ever and ever. I no longer have fear of sin and death. To everybody. I have a joy that nothing can steal. I have a peace that overwhelms the world. That is what I'm supposed to preach. And this chapter is how we're going to get it done. Listen, you can know all about, if you want to use the illustration, the mechanics of the engine. You can know the drivetrain. Chapters 1 through chapter 3, verse 13. You can even know where you're supposed to be going. How are you going to get there? But if you never do it until you turn on the ignition, what are you doing? Fourteen to twenty-one is how we turn it on. It's how we turn it on. Unfortunately, it is possible for some of the sanctified saints to soak it up, to soak it up constantly, and to even understand the energy and even be fueled up. They can even know what the map is, and they can know the race that is required, and they can even know. The route that they need to take. But they never move their will to turn it on. R.C. Sproul said it is the greatest anxiety of ministry. You serve so people will serve. People who know all, but they never really function according to the power that you see in chapter 3, verse 20. It's fascinating. It's, 
It's not that we don't have the power. Okay? One of the things that I see here in Castle Rock, and, and as I've traveled around the United States, I see it too, is that we're not tapping into what we possess. And so, for the sake of being effective, we become pragmatic. Okay, if I do this, this, and this, then this is going to happen. And if I look at the church structure that exists in the United States, I've been out of the country and Russia is starting to fall into it, but some of the other ones, Azerbaijan is 98% Muslim, so they don't get the resources. I mean, they're, they're in a proverbial rock in a hard place. In Georgia, Russia just annexed the ground as they deem necessary. Okay, so they, they don't have it. But where you have this freedom, I've seen it in my study of history of the church in Europe, then the church in England, and how it declined. Why? Because they got pragmatic. They got pragmatic. If I can get a whole bunch of people sitting in here, then I can hire a whole bunch of ministers. Because if I get you guys to give me your money, then I can hire a staff. And if I got a staff, then I can minister more. That's pragmatism. I have studied this enough to know that if you're saved, you are a minister. And if you're not ministering, then what you doing? Are you afraid to turn the key on? It might be fast. But I'm crazy enough to enjoy a little speed. <laughs> well, I am. We have the power. We know what the race is. The question is, is when are we going to get moving? This church, when we moved from downtown to up here, there was such a thrill, such an excitement in the people. I mean, it was like, wow, look what God did. And God did. I mean, He did some amazing stuff. Uh, the guy wanted to give us a hundred... No, wait, he wanted to give us $70,000, and we could have this building, and he'd take our old place. And we said, well, we don't know. So we sat down, me and a couple of guys, we sat down and said, all right, what would it cost to do this and this and this and this? And so we went back with another number, and before we could get back to another number, he came to us and says, I'll give you $100,000. So we had to go back and redo our numbers, okay? If we got this part and we got that part, and we do this and we do that and all the rest of it, and how many people can we get to work on the thing? Uh, you know, and, and volunteer labor is exactly that. Okay, so we started to go back. He came back. We'll give you $125,000 in that building. And we haven't even said nothing. Okay, because we were figuring out how, how can we do it for 70? Ends up at two and a quarter. And we, we got it. I'm just sitting there going, this is incredible. And uh, Hank Smith looked at me and says, we should hold out for 500. <laughs> so, <laughs> So we did all the work, we bought all the furniture, we did all the carpet, and we had money left over that we helped an orphanage in Russia and uh, a few other odds and ends. Okay? Now, I'd like to tell you that we had that planned, but we were clueless. 
All we knew is that the town was growing and our parking was shrinking. And the, the town, if you've ever been around Castle Rock on the weekend, forget it. <laughs> you can't get through. That's why they have a train. <laughs> you got to catch the train to go to one end to the other. And yet that's what the Lord did. When are we going to get moving? And you know what happened after that? We sit down. Well, we're up here. We're doing good. What do we want to do now? Take a nap. And we've been fighting that for as long as I can remember. Why? Complacent. Complacent. Because see what, brothers and sisters, I hate to break the bad news to you. I mean, this might be hurting your feelings, but wait till you get into chapter 4, because that's the race. And you're going to get into that race, and you don't have the engine running, then you're going to be pushing that car in the middle of a race. And everybody's going to know it. It's amazing how many people try to run the race of Christ without starting the engine. It's incredible. I see it all over the place. I see it in other churches. I see it in other pastors. Everywhere I look, I see it. Yeah, I'm a Christian. How do you know? I've got a sticker on my window. I don't get it. That means your car's saved. It doesn't make sense to me. This passage is a progression of how to get your engine started so that you get to chapter 3, verse 20. Because by the time you get to 320, you should be cooking. And you'll be in a race and you hit chapter 4 with a running start. And then you'll be watching everybody throttling up. Fantastic truth on how the Christian moves their will to get the engine started. Listen, this section is in the form of a prayer. It is the second prayer in this text. The first one comes... In chapter 1, verse 15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists in you, your love for all of the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the Lord God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom, of revelation and knowledge of Him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that you will know what is the hope of your calling. That's his first prayer. See, his first prayer, this is really cool. His first prayer is that I want you to be enlightened. I want you to see this. I don't, it's not that I want the elders to see it. It's not that I want the pastor to see it or the deacons to see it. I want you as a person in Christ, to see this. Okay? I want you to be enlightened. Now, he says, I want you who have seen this to be enabled. 
Okay? I want you to know the power in chapter 1 because of your position. Now he prays that God, they will use the power. Listen, if you think about that for just a second, those are the very most important foundational truths of Christianity. I have to know this information and I have to tap into the resources. Any man of God should or has to be concerned about telling the people who they are in Christ and then lead them to act like it. Kind of important prayer, don't you think? Paul wants to bring the believer to a place of maximum output. And yet, I can go back to the book of Revelations and see the church in Ephesus that he's dealing with here. And they contest the false prophets. They can do this. Their works are there. They're doing this. But what had happened? Lost their first love. Full functioning Christian. Ever seen one? Ever seen a full functioning Christian? Too many aren't. Too many are indifferent. Those who know the truth but never turn on the motor. They got the information. They even know the path. They know the race that's in front of them. But they never want to start the motor. See, that's the act of the will. And that's the work of this progression that you're getting ready to look at. So it's a prayer. I myself, I've told you this before. I probably spend more time with the Apostle Paul than I do anybody. And one of the things that I have concluded of the Apostle Paul, that I believe that he may have been the greatest, the most tremendous prayer warrior that has ever walked the planet. I read his prayers, and he ain't beating around the bush, and everything he's praying for is eternal. Here he knows the source of this progression is God. Listen, the Apostle Paul was adamant in his understanding that God is sovereign. Okay? So, in one sense, he pleads to the people to respond to the sovereignty of God. But in another sense, he pleads with God. Okay? See, he knows, I guess if I were going to put it in my terms, he knows that God is the motivator. Alright? And I'm going to close with this text. Uh, in my office, above, behind my head, above my uh, desk, is my verse. Okay? The one that... Uh, have you guys ever had kind of them... Bad times of spiritual growth. Just, gosh, nothing's working. 
this is the one that I hang on to when I get there. I have a, a series of verses that I have memorized over the decades that depending on what I'm battling, I'll grab that one and I'll grab a hold of it this way. And sometimes you've got to take two hands and hold on to it. This is mine. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. Okay? But 29 is in there too. For this purpose. What purpose? To present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. So you see it? There's two. Why? I strive in the power of God. That is what happens when the will transforms over to God's power to present everybody complete in Christ. You can will it, but if you ain't got God's power, so what? See what I'm trying to get at? That, that is the issue that the Apostle Paul is dealing with in 14 through 21 of chapter 3. How do I make my will succumb to the power of God so that I can see exceedingly abundantly beyond, beyond what I could ask or think? I think I want you to get that. What do you think about for Christ? What do you ask of Christ? Now, would you like to have it exceedingly abundantly beyond what you think or ask? But it says it's right there. And see what I mean? There are so many of us, we know what it says, and we just stand there. Like them little pink flamingos. Doesn't do nothing. I'm just going to stand there. What? Look. I'm pretty. See what I'm trying to get at? Start the motor. Kick it in gear. Start cooking. So this is an introduction into this text. So I would highly suggest that next week, everybody bring a seatbelt, tie yourself in, and we'll hit the ground running. Okay? I guarantee you, if you bow before this, your life will change. And you know what? It'll be radical. It'll be radical. Absolutely mind-numbing radical. Why? Exceedingly abundantly. That's sort of a fancy Greek way of phrasing a gazillion times. More than you can ever imagine. And yet, look what we settle for. Sometimes we don't even settle for mediocrity. And I'm afraid. I am. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We lack nothing. And yet, He has exceedingly abundantly, beyond what all of us collectively can ask 
or all of us collectively can think of the power that works within us in Christ. So that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, will be glorified forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> now you see why I like this verse, this text. Because this is one of them I can back up and say, yeah, <laughs> let's turn it upside down. Let's turn it upside down. So hang on. I have no idea how many more racing analogies I will have for you. <laughs> but I will be striving to get your motor running. Ain't that a song? Oh, that's way back. Never mind. <laughs> Shh. We won't go there. I'm surely that's not a Christian song. Let us pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. I pray for all who hear this. Father, they understand the resources that are in their possessions right now. And that, Father, as we look at the progression of this prayer to change our will, to motivate us of the things of God, that we'll hit the ground running. Father, as the Apostle Paul in his last letter said, I am poured out as a drink offering. I have run the race. I've kept the faith. May each of us be willing to be poured out and run the race not entangled with this place. To you, my King, Christ's name, amen.